to the Starting With One podcast with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Our goal is to provide our audience with interesting, relevant information on Canadian healthcare, financial and estate planning issues, and running a business. With each episode, Robin and Al will be exploring topics that matter to you. Starting With One is built off of our experience that we enhance the lives of many starting with one. Every great story that we get to share all started with one phone call, one conversation, or one meeting. These are the stories that make us very proud to do what we do, and it all starts with one. Welcome to another episode of the Starting With One podcast. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and business partner, Al McDonald. Hey, Al. Hey, Robin. How are you doing today? I am doing well. I don't know if I'm getting used to working remotely, but it's getting easier. Let's say that, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Right? So we were talking about this offline, and I certainly find it's the case for myself. I'm finding a lot of us, maybe it's because we have free time, we're a lot more engaged in social media these days in this time of self-isolation. And if you're in business like we are, you'll likely find yourself on LinkedIn, as is where, of course, a lot of other business owners are. And our guest today has some of the most insightful posts that I'm seeing right now. So we wanted to have him on the podcast to discuss some of the issues we're all facing during the COVID-19 crisis. So today's guest is Ian Ash. Ian is a co-founder of Dig Insights, one of the Canada's fastest growing companies. They're a market research and technology company offering custom insights through their staff of 100 plus employees. Dig also licenses their proprietary SaaS software to small, medium and enterprise clients. Aside from that, Ian has been a friend of our firm for many years now, and it's been really cool to watch you guys grow your company. Welcome to the show, Ian. Oh, thanks, Robin. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. So Ian, to say you're active on LinkedIn, I think would be a massive understatement. Why all the posts? And again, I'm smiling as I say this because, as you know, I'm very active on the platform as well. But why so many posts we're seeing from you? It's partly it's cathartic. <laughs> you know, I think we all have our own thoughts about what's going on, both from like a macro and also from a micro, micro perspective around our own businesses. And uh, it's kind of, it helps to get the thoughts out. And if people gravitate towards them and they, and they like what I'm saying, that's great. And otherwise, it's just kind of cathartic for me to get those thoughts down and sort of work through them myself. So I think that's really the way I use it. It's almost like it's it's a journal that I let everyone read. Yeah, and I would echo your sentiment. It's been very cool to see what's been happening on LinkedIn because I think the rules for LinkedIn have, have changed during the crisis. It used to be about you would share an article here and there. And I find, especially with your post, you're getting a lot of engagement and discussion, which I think is an incredible during this time. I've, I've seen a lot of other business owners commenting on your post as well as mine. And it's been a really neat platform to share ideas. So that's been very cool. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, the interesting thing about LinkedIn specifically is, you know, pre this crisis, my posts always had a bit of a sarcastic bite to them. Not all of them, but <laughs> most of them. And I think that it was the complete opposite of, say, Twitter or Facebook. People were almost saccharinely optimistic. You know, it was always best put forward you almost never saw below the veneer. And I think this has changed that to a certain degree for good or for worse. And people are being a little bit more honest, I find, in what they're posting on, on LinkedIn. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Now, one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on the show is because you're a fellow business owner. And I was hoping you could chat about business planning through the pandemic, this new normal. And 
part of my question as a second part actually is, and we've chatted about it, this new normal term has been thrown about. And, and one of your most recent posts, you had talked about next normal. So maybe talk to us about planning through this and what next normal means. Right. Planning through this, I think most people or a lot of businesses have started to get it right, certainly. I'm not saying that we've done everything right for sure, but you know, it starts with every year when you do your business planning, you set a budget and you set a target and you set a series of strategies that you're going to undertake and you set capital against each of those strategies in some ways is very different in other ways isn't different. The, the issue here is that you need to set a series of scenarios and you need to choose the one that you think is most likely to occur. And I think that was the hardest part for a lot of small business because, and even large business, because we got so little direction from the government. And I'm not saying that that's really the government's fault either because this is an unprecedented situation. But when you don't have forecasts for when things are gonna reopen, when you don't have forecasts for economic activity that are changing on a daily basis, it's really hard to say, this is what we're going to do in the short term and this is how long we're gonna have to operate this way. And this is when we're going to make difficult decisions around how we're going to cut costs or how we're going to ramp back up. So I think the first step is certainly you need to have an assumption about what you think the world is going to look like and for how long. And even though that's a crystal ball, you kind of have check-ins. So the way we manage it is we look at our, I mean, most people do, but we look at everything daily, but certainly every three or four weeks, depending on key timelines, we reassess, are we continuing the way we thought we would be continuing? And what are those inflection points? And at that point, what hard decisions have we set up to make at that point? So are there cost-cutting measures that need to be made in a month if we're not hitting you know, break-even? And then obviously there's a whole financial component to that, which is, and it can sometimes be difficult for businesses that don't have large fixed cost components or they have a lot of variable cost components. What is your monthly break-even? And are you running at break-even? And how long can you run at what kind of deficit? So I think that's really it. It's scenario planning, understanding where your check-in points are, what decisions are going to have to be made at each of those inflection points, partly just depending on your cash position. So that's some really good information, Ian. And I think a number of our clients would be able to relate to that. One thing that I think a lot of clients are struggling with, and I'm sure you guys have had to deal with this as well. You mentioned that you've got pretty much everyone working at home now. How are you dealing with that? How are you dealing with managing staff remotely? And, you know, as simple as, hey, you know, people are working at home, that's the new normal. How do you know they're doing their job? Like, what are you guys doing to be able to manage that type of thing? Yeah, we had to add almost like managerial scaffolding really quickly. And I think a lot of companies did, which is that we had operated traditionally as an extremely flat organization because that's what worked for us. We have a very self-motivated, ambitious workforce. Our average age is extremely young and people liked a lot of autonomy and they like to have the ability to work on, you know, having some passion projects, which we've tried not to lose. But the reality is lines of communication become very difficult when it's a one to say 10 plus situation and you can very quickly get into a situation where you can't do anything all day but have conference calls so we quickly had to add hierarchy scaffolding to the organization almost overnight and say 
yeah, you traditionally just walked up to me at my desk and said, hey, can we chat for five minutes? Now we're going to have to establish lines of communication so that we're getting updates more regularly. We've had to quickly add additional reporting requirements. Thankfully, as you mentioned earlier, we've got a very tech-savvy staff, so we were able to automate some of that fairly quickly. If it had been a situation of just, let's do an experiment and see if we all work from home, how that works, it would have been smoother than what this is. Because on top of having people working from home, you've got a very anxious, nervous workforce now working from home. And that adds a whole different level of complexity. So if you knew that something had happened at work, there'd been some sort of tragedy that everyone had to face, you know, normally you would have come together, right? You would have maybe had a, a grief counselor come into the office, that sort of thing. But under this scenario, it's really hard to see those people who are maybe more quiet already. And it's easy for them to simply slip into the background. And so we've updated our, you know, our team meetings we used to do once a week, now we do twice a week. And we've added multiple ways for people to give us additional feedback and ask us additional questions that don't require them to put their hand up, you know, virtually. So before weekly team meetings, we have one right after this this meeting, actually. We have an open comment box where people can ask us any question they want, and we'll do our best to answer it when we can. That's a great idea. That's a great point. I like your point about, you know, people not necessarily putting their hand up, and those are the ones that maybe are easier to forget about. But yeah, everyone, I think, is struggling with everything that's going on. So. And Ian, you made a good point about, you know, you, could, you can spend an entire day on, on calls or conference calls. And I found early on a couple of weeks ago when everything's happening and I'm trying to be in touch with clients and centers of influence and all the people that I need to speak with, a day would go by and I hadn't talked to my team once, let alone my business partners, but my staff who on any other normal day I would have seen a couple of times in and out of the office. So most recently, I just, I just initiated a touch-in call with my right hand every day with my assistant because it was just too easy to spend a day, work, 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 and all of a sudden you realize I haven't talked to that person in two days. So you're right, creating these channels where you're going to be in front of these people, most likely on video right now, or at least being able to ask those questions, I think is so incredibly important right now. Yeah, the channels of communication. And then also, I mean, we had a very social workplace. We had a very large budget for, you've been to our parties. (laughs) And people really missed that and they still do miss it. And we've got some very creative people in the office who have added things like virtual yoga. So there was yoga Tuesday, that's yesterday. There was yoga yesterday morning. So everyone could join in a Zoom session and do yoga together. I didn't join. Unfortunately, my bobsledding suit wasn't fitting properly, so I didn't join for, for yoga. But that sort of thing, we've added that, that sort of element to try to bring some of that back. And we've talked about things like virtual drinks. Not that I'm encouraging drinking in the office. I am, but not that I am. And uh, that, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's funny. We were talking, not yoga specifically, although maybe we could talk to Joe about that. We talked about that having a, you know, a social happy hour together once a week, just to kind of commiserate and share how the week went and, and have some downtime and, and some social time together. So Ian, for companies that are able to continue working like yours, because unfortunately, not everyone can continue to do so. But for the companies that can, what do you think are the most important considerations over the next short while, short to midterm? 
what's really difficult for this versus previous downturns, like I, all of us, we lived through the 2008 recession. I mean, that was almost child's play compared to this. Like that was batten down the hatches, hold on to your cash. You're going to get through this. I think what's really challenging now is depending on your age, how long is it going to be till we get back to the next peak? Like if you think about economic activity before we literally hit a brick wall was at all time highs. We had all time high valuations on companies, particularly tech companies. We had record levels of dry powder in the private equity space, over $3 trillion. My company alone had over 50% growth last year. And then you hit a brick wall and you realize it's going to be quite a while. And I don't want to be a downer, but it's going to be quite a while before we reach those types of highs again. Like It took an 11-year run to get us there. We're not going to pull, again, I don't want to be too cynical, but I don't think we're going to pull a V-shaped recovery back up to those levels. That's just, unfortunately, probably an unrealistic expectation. So I think the big challenges for small businesses are, what is the world going to look like when this is over? And what do you do with what's left? In some cases, you may have to realize you might be operating a much smaller or somewhat smaller organization that's more profitable instead of chasing growth at all costs. Right, right. And in other cases, you know, a lot of companies that have continued to operate, particularly a good portion of our businesses in the tech space, and we compete against a lot of other tech companies for talent, but also for business, that space is, is going to be, in some cases, just completely decimated because these are companies that have been running on burn rates instead of earnings, and that capital is going to dry up. And I think that even after we recover, that likelihood of private equity, venture capital, even angel investors to invest in companies that don't have strong balance sheets is going to be fundamentally changed for a good number of years. Good point. So one of the things we talked about before this was some of the programs that the Canadian government has done and are doing. So are there some other things that they could do to help out some businesses? Are they doing enough? Or do you have any comments about what is available right now to small businesses? Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, I think really the government's reacted reasonably well. It's a very difficult situation to have an economy be completely put on freeze and then try to come up with a plan to allow people to not lose their businesses. But as you know, small business is a massive component of GDP, particularly in Canada. And I think there's a lot of challenges around what kind of programs and how they're going to allow people to access that cash. I mean, I'm generally, and if I know we've known each other for a long time, I'm generally fiscally conservative. Like I'm not a giant believer in big bailouts for Bombardier, for instance, in the past, but these are exceptional situations. And I think particularly if you're a small business owner, like a restaurant owner, loans aren't going to cut it. And particularly $40,000 loans aren't going to cut it. And there may be some that are beyond saving almost no matter what the government does. There's already been some consideration to how they calculate things like losses. And I think they've made some really big improvements, even just within the last few weeks. Originally, it was you had to have a 30% year-over-year decrease, which really cut out almost any growth company. Like My break-even now is above a 0% growth rate versus last year. So that fundamentally didn't work for us. But I think the way that they've recalculated some of that is an improvement. I think ultimately, we're going to have to look at the way, particularly mortgages. 
I work with a lot of the banks and I think they're doing everything they can in the short term, but it boils down to if you own a restaurant and you're paying rent and you can't operate your business, then you can't pay your rent. And if you can't pay your rent, then the landlord is still paying a mortgage. So it's going to trickle down to somebody. Ultimately, rent forgiveness is the only way that I think a lot of these smaller companies are going to survive. Not even rent freezes, not a mortgage deferral, a full out for the period of time that you're closed, you're not paying rent. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's fast forward a little bit. Let's hope that at some point we climb our way out of this. Some of the restrictions are lifted. We get back to something resembling normal, quote unquote. What do you think that's going to look like? And how would you suggest or how are you preparing for what that next normal or what that new normal will be? Yeah. So I think that's where I'm a little bit more optimistic. Ultimately, it's not going to be overnight. I think that's the problem. I think you need to look at, there's a lot of assumptions out there around what's the shape of the recovery going to be. Is it going to be a V? Is it going to be a U? Is it going to be a long L? Is it going to be a W? I think you need to make some assumptions around that and realize that there's going to be some uncertainty. We still don't know. We still don't have a clear picture of any country really that's reopened successfully and hasn't had almost a daily fear that there's going to be a resurgence, right? That the second wave is going to spike right. right away. Until the markets and also just large industries have that confidence that there can be at least a partially sustained recovery, I think we're going to be in this frozen budgets world, which certainly applies to me and I'm sure applies to you as well, where people say, it's not that I'm saying no, it's that I'm saying my budgets are frozen right now. I think once there's some kind of light at the end of the tunnel, the recovery will start even before everything's reopened, at least at the large company, big industry level. So once, let's say there's an emergency vaccine usage for healthcare professionals only, a step like that, or we see a country partially reopens and doesn't have a giant spike, maybe they only have like a small outbreak somewhere and they're able to contain it. I think once we see something, that shows us light at the end of the tunnel. The largest companies, the ones that have frankly been less hit by this crisis. So the CPG companies, the Unilevers, Procter and Gamble's, obviously the online retailers like Amazon, they'll free up more budget for things that are not just core and not just supply chain uh, strengthening. And once we see that, I don't think three years from now, the world's gonna be so very different. I don't think we're all going to be walking around in hazmat suits. <laughs> I don't think it's only going to be virtual workplace. I don't think people are still going to be hoarding toilet paper. I think we're all afraid, obviously. But I think sometimes we let our own boogeymans escape in what we're saying publicly around new normal. And that was what my last post was around. And that's why I preferred the term next normal, because the truth is there's no such thing as any culture, country, norm that stays the same. I mean, years ago, everybody wore a watch and now nobody wears a watch. That's a small change. There'll be lots of small changes and there'll be some big changes, but generally speaking, people are still gonna eat at restaurants. They're still gonna have drinks together because we're social animals and we'll just gravitate back towards it regardless of our fears, I think. And I think that's encouraging for a lot of people to hear. I did, a, I don't know if you saw it, Ian, but I did a post yesterday about the vivid vision that I had written last year. And it was a three-year vision for where we wanted the company to be, you know, in 2022. You know, I made a bit of a joke on that post that 2020 I'm taken as a mulligan. 
So I'm kind of resetting that. And I, th- and I think you're right. I think three years from now, some things will have changed, absolutely, going forward. But I think it will be a normal way of life again. And I, I like that you use the boogeyman. We create our own fear sometimes. And I think it's going to take seeing that light at the end of the tunnel and people to get hope and say, okay, now we see we're going to get through this. But I think it's short term. The rest of 2020 is probably going to be a challenge for a lot of people. Yeah, and a lot of our workforce now hasn't been through some of the more upsetting events in our recent history that maybe that we've lived through. They don't remember the hyperbole after 9-11, and I'm not saying 9-11 wasn't a horrific event. It was a horrific event, and I remember that we were all grief-stricken. But I also remember all of the magazine and newspaper articles saying, we're never going to travel again. And almost the exact same thing has happened now. I see all of these newspaper articles and magazine articles saying we're never going to travel again. Unless this pandemic had been something of the scale of, you know, the movie Contagion or something. Like something where the mortality rate was just significantly higher than it is, although it's already horrific. I don't see a future scenario where we just abandon our way of life and go back to an agrarian society. I just don't think that's a realistic expectation. So I think we need to temper our fears with what's realistic. You know, even people say, well, 1918, you're talking about something over 100 years ago. But even after the Spanish flu epidemic, the Roaring Twenties happened. I, I mean, there's, there's pent-up demand and we're, we're social animals and we want to be around each other. I don't think that can really change. And as things recover, and they eventually will, even if we have to wait for something like herd immunity, people will begin to congregate again. And I think we'll return to a normal that's not so different than now. And that's why I like the term next normal, because there's always a next normal. Yeah, absolutely. Well put. Al, anything else to add? No, I think that was great, Ian. Uh, very insightful. That's great to hear, hear what your thoughts are. Ian, did you have any uh, final uh, comments that you wanted to make before we wrap this one up? Uh, no, I don't think so. That's great. Thanks so much for the talk, guys. Yeah, no, it was, it was, uh, we've been planning this for a long time, so it was great to have you on. Thanks again for your insights today. As always, I'll be looking forward to your next LinkedIn post, and I recommend to anyone to follow Ian. He's got some great posts on there, and a lot of time, it's something that's funny that'll uh, likely brighten your day, so go follow him there. Ian, if people want to reach out to you directly, what's the best way? How should they get in touch with you if they want to chat with you? Yeah, LinkedIn's probably a good start. I checked the messages on that pretty religiously so yeah if you want to reach out to me on linkedin that's probably the easiest way okay cool great all right folks that does it for another episode as always we appreciate your feedback is that it helps shape the direction of our show please reach out to al or myself anytime you have any questions or join the conversation on linkedin and remember it all starts with one Mm -hmm.